0: If you'd like to, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 8. The reading of God's word comes to us from Proverbs chapter 8. It's a short selection this evening, verses 32 through 36. Lend your attention. This is the very word of God. And now, o sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. And all who hate me love death. Thus far the reading of God's word. Join me in prayer as we ask his blessing on the reading and the preaching of the word. Our God, how good it is to hear your word. I pray that you would uh, enable us to hear it rightly. Mm -hmm. And not as uh, the fools who build houses upon sand, uh, but as the wise uh, who build upon the rock. Now, how good you are, Lord, and how plainly that is set forth in your word. And so we ask now to receive it rightly, and we ask to be instructed in the ways of wisdom. We ask to be built up in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the strength which you have made known and raising him from the dead and bringing forth life and hearts dead in trespasses and transgressions. Strengthen us in the new life the resurrection life. Create in us a love for that which is good as set forth in your holy and righteous law. Teach us to delight in your law as the psalmist of old and as the Lord Jesus Christ instructs us now Leading us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We ask that you would do these things, for we ask in Christ. Amen. Continuing on in our Westminster Shorter Catechism. Come to the final question concerning the third commandment. So I'll read. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, this is the word of the Lord. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Thus ends God's word. Westminster Shorter 56 asks, What is the reason annexed to the third commandment? The reason annexed to the third commandment is that however the breakers of this commandment may escape punishment from men, yet the Lord our God will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. Amen. We've seen that we do well not... Only to pay attention to the content of what God commands, but the reasons which he affixes to the particular commandments. Now we see here uh, yet another reason um, why we are to heed uh, this third commandment. The commandment itself being, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then the reason for... The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I want to make three observations. First, we're struck that God takes things seriously which we might give little regard just because we regard something as a trivial matter does not mean that it indeed is trivial. And we gave a host of examples of what this commandment has in mind, what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. We said that the most immediate context was in the context of a vow or an oath where one summoned God to witness to the content, the truth, the certainty of what was said, and then disregarded that. We said there were other instances as well which clearly came under the purview of this commandment, blaspheming the name of God, which means taking the name of God or taking the acts of God or taking the revelation of God. Weighty matters all. Matters of eternal importance. Matters where the well being of man's eternal soul is bound up with a proper understanding of what these names mean, what these acts mean, what these terms mean. We said a blaspheming of these things is treating with lightness that which is grave. We said that this reflects itself in much of our coarse language where we use words involving eternal condemnation, eternal damnation at the drop of a hat, at mere inconvenience or a personal slight. Taking the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, taking the name of God in a context where there's really no reverence, where there's really no worship such as to treat with lightness that which is not light at all, that which is indeed of eternal significance. The name of all name conscripted into our mundane and coarse dealings, and so on and so forth. But as we look around, we get the sense that people violate vows all the time, and they don't give it a second thought. People swear under oath and then lie regularly and they don't give it a second thought. And certainly you'd be hard pressed to find something more common than the bandying about of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or God or any of these things that he's given us for salvation, given us to worship him, bandying them about with a a coarseness and a vulgarity that certainly does not do justice to the one who has given those things. We see their commonness and we're tempted to think, it's no big deal. We're impressed here by this reason. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We're impressed that even though we might not think these are a big deal, Mm. the Lord does. Mm so we're reminded of just how prone we are to confuse our judgment with what is true. We forget that our hearts and our minds don't judge things rightly because of sin. This is all of the imagery from Scripture about being in darkness. The Lord Jesus Christ encountered the scribes and the Pharisees. As you're like the blind leading the blind You're enmeshed in, in darkness. You can't see rightly. You can't evaluate rightly. You can't walk rightly. You certainly can't lead others rightly. There's a sense in which this sheds such a plain light on just how wrong we are, how casually we can do these things, how easily the name can slip from our lips, how easy it is for us to violate a vow. And feel nothing of it. And yet, the plain word of Scripture is the Lord will not hold guiltless those who take his name in vain. It's a weighty matter. And we're reminded that we get this wrong. Now, on the one hand, we have to say that all of God's law matters. That the violation of any part of God's law, according to Scripture, makes one culpable for all of it. That's what Paul teaches. That's what James teaches. But that doesn't mean we can't feel the specific emphasis of this. And the unique attention that God gives to his name. God is remarkably concerned With his name. Now I assure you this is not vanity. This is not pride. God is concerned with his name. Because God is concerned with what is true. God is concerned with his name. Because God is concerned with. Creating true worshipers. And the world's perception of the name of God. Is intimately bound up. In the world's willingness or unwillingness. To worship God. And it's tempting to see this and hear this and conclude that the world has gotten this so terribly wrong. And there's a sense in which that's true. To take the name of their creator on their lips in vulgarity is a, a dreadful sin. They, they know not what they speak of. They know not the guilt that they're hazarding. They know not the judgment that they're hazarding. But we also saw last week that we bear his name with more intimacy as his people. And so there's a sense in which our mishandling of the name, our taking of the Lord's name in vain is doubly egregious. Because the world does bear his name. On the soul of every single person is embossed property of the true and living God but on our souls is embossed special property of the triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit it's a plainer revelation of the name we're acutely aware that this is not something that we're to hear primarily for those out there can certainly lament the general lack of any fear of God in this world. And we can certainly see that it is an absence of the fear of God, which is also a hallmark of utter chaos. But we fail to hear this rightly (laughs) if we don't feel the weight of our own handling of The name of God lightly. The Lord presses upon our heart that this is a weighty matter. And it's one which sobers us to just how easy it is for us to convince ourselves that we're seeing rightly when we're not seeing rightly. God takes his name seriously, God takes this matter seriously. And so we can start by simply asking that the Lord would continue to sanctify our vision. The loveliness of the light of the world who has come means we're starting to see, means we're interested in seeing that the light of the world has come. It means that we begin to understand the depth of self-deception of which we're capable, the danger of sin, the constant need for growth in grace. So let us continue to ask that God would attune us more and more to see rightly when it comes to these matters. To understand the things that he takes seriously and to have those matters taken seriously among us. The second observation I want to make is that God sets himself forth as the one who will not hold guiltless. That's what he says. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. The plain indication or the plain implication in the verse is brought out in the shorter catechism question. Namely that there's a very good chance that those who violate this command may not be deemed or pronounced guilty by man. And by this, the Lord is inviting us to picture, I think, at least two different possibilities. The first is that oftentimes the nature of this crime aren't discoverable by man. Man's limited, even in the degree to which he can penetrate a matter any parent knows this who's come upon a crime scene orchestrated at the hands of their children where the action has been done (laughs) and you inquire did you do such and such no I didn't it's a lot of circumstantial evidence pointing the other way buddy (laughs) You try to press upon his heart. It's serious to lie. God knows your heart. If you lie to mommy and daddy, we might not find it out. We can't, in every instance, find it out. It's a limitation that we experience as human beings. And if we experience it with children who are still remarkably naive and Not all that sophisticated yet in their sin. How much more so with human beings who have grown sophisticated over decades of practice. (laughs) Such that situations like a court of law or even church courts. That base their findings upon testimony. Testimony where oaths are taken. And yet we acknowledge that we're limited. Even human justice in the most ideal sense is limited in terms of how far out it can search a matter. It can know a matter. But the Lord here would not have us despair. (laughs) And so that excellent lesson that you try to teach your two-year-old, your three-year-old, Buddy, you might lie to me. I might be deceived, but there is no deceiving the searcher of hearts. There is no mocking the Almighty in this regard. Do you think about courts of law where people testify under threat of perjury? (laughs) And yet this doesn't stop lies, and lies go forth, and sentences are made, and lives are made or ruined from a human perspective. And many of the lies are undetected, and yet they've generated destructive realities. What shall we say? Has God been bested? No. No. Just because they've escaped the gaze of man, just because they've escaped the justice of man, does not mean all is well does not mean the matter is closed he's a lesser writer but Dostoevsky is helpful at this point you meet Raskolnikov in crime and punishment who ostensibly gets away with a crime but you very soon realize he did not get away with his crime Mm -hmm. the conscience haunts providence haunts and perhaps most terrifyingly of all, sometimes it stops haunting. And this is the most dreadful form of God's judgment in this earth. Arnold Lloyd Jones says, I can't imagine a more terrible state for a soul in this world than one's utter insensitivity to sin. This is God's judgment. The searing of the conscience, God's judgment. The desensitization to lies, God's judgment. Sometimes it's not even all that hard to see. You see marriage vows violated. You called God as a witness to this vow that you made, and then it was broken. You're not going to get hauled off to jail. You might spend a lot of money in court, (laughs) but that's not man's justice. That's God's providential dealing. The path is going to be one of utter destruction. The violation of vows, perhaps not prosecuted by man, is not something that escapes the Almighty. Mm. God assures us here that there are many cases where man's justice fails. That what is right is not what is done. But does that mean all is lost? Does that mean God's justice is mocked? Does that mean the Almighty is too weak? Does that mean He's not righteous? Far be it from us to say. For we have the plain testimony concerning all manners of sin and death on display in the cross. Do we not? Mankind constantly consoles themselves thinking, well, God doesn't deal with sin because He hasn't visited the fullness of my sin upon me. Now, partly, they just don't have the eyes to see the way God might be visiting their sin upon them. But partly, they're just disregarding the plain testimony of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, which says, God does take sin seriously. The cross is the fountain of God's grace. But it is also the plain display of His justice. That's what sin deserves. That's what blasphemers deserve. That's what all sin will receive outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who does not bear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in truth is a blasphemer. And God will not hold that person guiltless. And the truth of it is on display in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ where he publicly testified to the world that sin will be punished. That justice will be meted out. And this is a remarkably sobering call for sinners, isn't it? Which means it's a remarkably sobering call for you and for me because we are sinners. That assurance of God's justice being meted out is to have the intended effect of driving us not away from Him. Hmm. But to him with pleas for mercy on our lips. And that's where the loveliness of the cross also comes into view. For it was the plain testimony of his justice, but it was also the plain testimony of his mercy. God will not be mocked. I don't know how much time you spend thinking about the justice of God. But the astonishing fact is is that at the end of all things, all sin, every single transgression will be accounted for. Either in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ or in the particulars of justice that he meets out to those who refuse the gospel. God will not be mocked. The excellencies of who he is is infinitely just has already been shown in the cross, but will be writ across the cosmos on the day that Christ returns. The Lord assures us that just because someone escapes human justice, it does not mean that he escapes God's justice. Just because someone sins indifferently against the Lord and is not immediately struck down, by no means proves that that person is innocent. We should probably pause here to rejoice at how patient God is, shouldn't we? As what Paul says, you presume upon his kindness and his patience, which was intended to lead you to repentance. We considered the restraint of God's judgment, even on display at the very beginning with Adam. How he did not visit the fullness of his transgression there, but did indicate the severity of his sin, did pronounce curse, and yet stayed the hand in that Adam was not thrust into eternal perdition at that moment. Which is what sin deserves. Paul would have us see the entire history of the world (laughs) as one giant testimony to God's Forbearance, God's kindness, God's patience. So we hear of the justice of God. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain, and we have occasion to marvel at the kindness of God. Not in that he is slow to fulfill this word, but that he is slow to anger, that he is patient we couple that awe with a prayer that the lord would ever keep us from presuming upon his kindness as a pretext for sin that's what paul labors to keep us from don't presume upon the riches of his kindness which is intended to lead you to repentance a true apprehension of the lord's goodness mercy kindness is never to be exploited to continue in sin But it is always to be understood as that which dissuades from sin. Which brings a turning from sin. But the assurance here that God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain also attunes us to another strand in Scripture, namely that God's judgments are at work in this world, even though they might be difficult to see. That's what Roman 1 plainly says. That there is a day of judgment and there is a day of wrath. But there is also a very real sense in which in time and space, history itself is making known God's judgments and his wrath. Paul says this plainly, that we are the savior of Christ. To those who are being saved, we're a saver of life unto life. To those who are perishing from death unto death. The sinner who is hardened, the sinner who is plunging further into sin, in a very real sense, is an object of wrath at that time. Being handed over to sin is to be under God's judgment. Now we ought to be restrained here and how quick we are to pronounce upon the mysterious de- dealings of God in providence. But Scripture is plain on this matter. And it's worth pointing out because we have a tendency to think that God is something like the God of the deists. That He's not active. That man is the real agent of action in this world. Don't we have a tendency to think that way? That history is really just the outplaying of what man wants. This stage upon which one sinner's will is replaced by another sinner's will. and The more influence a person has, the more that person's sinful will is given as that which... Ultimately, causes things. Romans 1 would have us acknowledge all of that, but see something more going on. See the rising and the falling and the hardening and the giving over as God's just dealings with man. God is active. And I'm convinced that on the final day, we're going to see. (laughs) We're going to see the plainness with which God's just and merciful dealings were controlling everything. Though now it is difficult for us to see. The last observation I want to make is in the form of a question. Why does God put himself forward here uniquely as the one who will not hold guiltless? It's interesting. The Lord would have us see that he is the one who will not hold guiltless. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Why would he have us as his people understand that he is the one who ultimately meets this out? Partly for consolation. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where injustice seems to take the day, but that's really difficult. It's really difficult. You feel helpless. You feel like the world is crooked, bent, upside down. There's a powerlessness to it. And the Lord tenderly to his children says, At the end of the day, I'm going to make all right. The dreadful dreadful world that emerges as man takes the Lord's name in vain regularly, very often creates destructive realities in which God's people are enmeshed. And he would not have us sink into despair. He would once more point us to the Lord Jesus Christ, assured that God's mercy and God's justice are unassailable. And he would have us take heart. But he would also have us postured with a proper fear of the Almighty. The sinful heart consoles itself frequently that as long as nobody else sees, then it's not really wrong. As long as nobody finds out, then what's the harm? This refrain is regularly put forth in all manner of context and sinful behavior. Is it not? The one who lies on the witness sand has to console themselves by saying, well, at least I won't get caught. If they don't find out, then I'm not guilty. Now make no mistake, that's the delusion and deceitfulness of our flesh. And for the children, we are made abundantly aware. That the Lord is the searcher of hearts. That what cannot be searched out by man can and is plain to God. And so well does the psalmist pray, Father, search me and know me. We lay our hearts bare. We desire to have our hearts laid bare every week. I pray that you are earnestly engaged in that spiritual exercise. But we all have the tendency to hide. And the doubly dreadful tendency to convince ourselves that the silly fig leaves behind which we hide actually veil from God's sight. They don't. Spoiler alert to the children. I know when my kids are lying. (laughs) Their little hearts are playing even at that point. How much more the omnipotent and excellent father who deals with us as children. We can rejoice in that as well. That the Lord disciplines us as children. Even as we feel the ache of these things, we need not feel them as criminals. We're to feel them as children. With the assurance that the Father deals with us as children. As He trains us in godliness. But the last observation as to why God puts Himself forward here, is that he reminds us of the great value and worth of his name and that he is the guarantor that it will be sanctified on this earth that's what we pray father hallowed be thy name what does hallowed mean sanctify your name make known the truth of your name make known the excellencies of your name god is committed to making known the excellencies of his name the lord jesus christ in his high priestly prayer as he comes to the end of his course says father i've made known your name this is why the father sent the son Paul says rather forcefully looking at the people of God who bore his name. Because of you, his name is blasphemed among the Gentiles. And there's a sense in which that can be said as true of every single one of us. If you take the right angle <laughs> or the wrong angle, depending on your perspective. But there is one of whom it cannot be said. Mm-hmm. God's name is not blasphemed among the Gentiles because of the Lord Jesus Christ. For in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the perfect display of the name. The one who only ever acted in justice. He did what was right. He said what was right. He said what was true. He didn't shrink back in fear, but who also was adorned with otherworldly mercy. He drew near to the lowly, drew near to the outcast, called sinners unto himself and broke their hearts in the light of his goodness, in the light of his holiness and restored them with his cleansing touch. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's name is magnified in the earth. Mm -hmm. We pray, sanctify your name, O Lord. We're praying a number of things. But one of the things that we're praying is that the Lord would open more and more eyes to see the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the true revelation of the name of our God and in which and in whom there is salvation. Let's pray. Mm. Our great God, we give you thanks for your commitment to extol your name, to make known the excellencies of who you are in justice and in mercy, in forgiveness of sinners and the leading forth in righteousness, Father, we acknowledge that we don't see rightly things that are deemed trivial to us are of utmost importance to you. And so we ask, Lord, that you would pardon us and that you would teach us, that you would strengthen us, and you might create in our hearts an earnest desire to see your name magnified as Christ is proclaimed and as we bear witness to him in our words and in our lives by the power of the Spirit. For we ask in Christ's name, amen.